0: This is Ali Adler, co-executive producer and writer on No Ordinary Family on ABC, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast.
1: Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for scriptwriting information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft scriptwriting software, the entertainment industry standard for scriptwriting worldwide. This is Gray. And I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, Episode 8, for Monday, January 10th, 2011. This is the beginning of our series on women TV writers, and I'm so excited that today we have two interviews with co-executive producer and writer of No Ordinary Family on ABC, Allie Adler. We'll get to Allie in just a little bit, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the situation for women TV writers. In 2009, the Writers Guild released a report on the challenges faced by diverse writers in the employment and earnings fronts. And despite a call for action in the 2007 report, the 2009 report saw little growth. Um, White males continued to dominate television writing, while women represent only 28% of the employment in TV writing. Minorities fared even worse, declining to 9% since the 2007 report. And when you consider that over 50% of the population is women, and over a third is visible minorities. This is clearly out of step with um, with the population. And the interesting thing is that even on shows about women, um, there has often been an attitude that as long as you have one token female writer, then you've met this invisible quota. Um, if it was changing, you'd think that you'd see it reflected in the in the pilots, but according to a FlavorWire article around this time last year, out of around 40 pilots already commissioned for that point for 2010-11, only six out of the 40 were created or written by women. Is it lack of talent? Grey's Anatomy, Private Practice, CSI Miami, CSI New York, Bones, The New Adventures of Old Christine, and Showtime's The United States of Terra were all created by and primarily written by women. The Good Wife, Vampire Diaries. I don't know. Uh, There's some great shows there. So, mm, I don't know. The WGA concluded that the underemployment of diverse writers in the industry really has more to do with access, networking, and opportunity than with a shortage of talent. So it's not about the talent. Okay, access, networking, opportunity, that may be true, but I believe that one of the best ways to promote change is to encourage new and up-and-coming female writers. To educate them both about the pitfalls that they may face, the opportunities that they can take advantage of, and to provide examples of successful working women to inspire them. And that's why, over the next few weeks, I'll be interviewing several women writers. Today, Ali Adler was my favorite writer on Chuck and so far is my favorite writer on No Ordinary Family. She has also written for Women of a Certain Age, Commander-in-Chief, Just Shoot Me, Family Guy, Beverly Hills 90210, and many more. As we've done a couple of times before on the podcast, we're going to have two interviews today. The first one was an interview that was taken on Chuck vs. the podcast in February of 2009 when I spoke to Ali about Season uh, 2, I guess, going towards Season 3. And in this interview, she talked about how she got started as a writer, her work with up-and-coming writers in the Young Storytellers Foundation, and also much about the process of writing Chuck. In the second interview, Ali spoke more about her perspective as a female TV writer, and also about her new job on ABC's No Ordinary Family, which is one of my favorite new shows from this season. In the upcoming few episodes, I'll be speaking to Nell Scovell, who wrote for David Letterman and is now writing for Sci-Fi's Warehouse 13. I'll also be speaking to a female writing team, Elizabeth Finch and Kate Barno, who wrote for True Blood and are now writing on No Ordinary Family with Ali. If you have any questions for these writers or comments on any of my previous podcasts, please send them to mail at tvwriterpodcast.com. Uh, sometimes interviews happen very suddenly, and so the best way to, um, to know about the interviews that may come is to follow me on Twitter, at Grey Jones is my handle for the latest updates. Also, please visit the podcast site, tvwriterpodcast.com. There's previous episodes. There's links to resources. There's a page where you can find out what's coming and also suggest your own shows and topics, and also the TV Writer Twitter database. And don't forget to go to scriptmag.com as well for lots of great writing resources, including digital subscriptions to Script Magazine, which for about a dollar a month, give you the latest magazine and also free access to years of back issues. It's great value, and you can get an amazing amount of information there. But now on to Ali's first interview from February two thousand and nine on Chuck versus the podcast. Enjoy. This is great with Chuck vs. the podcast, and I'm here with Ali Adler, one of the writers from Chuck. How are you doing today?
0: I'm very happy to be here with you, Gray.
1: Well, we're so excited that you could take the time to speak with us. I I know that you have a very busy schedule, and you're doing great work.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you very much on behalf of all the writers.
1: Yeah. This is actually part two of our writer series, where spoke with Phil Klemmer, and uh, we'll be talking with Scott Rosenbaum as well.
0: Oh, Skeeter. Yeah. That's exciting.
1: Yeah, so it's going to be a real treat for the fans. Oh, great. Yeah. So um, we're going to wind way back and ask you about, when did you first know that you wanted to be a writer?
0: It was as a result of doing very poorly in math. In uh, school, I would bring home a bunch of C's, and my parents decided that I wouldn't be allowed to watch television, so... I saved my money and bought this, like, crazy radio that had TV channels on it. Mm -hmm. So I would listen to the TV shows and sort of be forced to, like, block the scenes in my head. Uh It helped me, ultimately. Uh, Their punishment really made me uh, a rich and powerful person in Hollywood. Mm
1: -hmm. That sounds like me with my iPod.
0: Sort of a version of that, yeah, the early version of the iPod. Mm-hmm.
1: And so uh, how did you get started? Did, did you write things in school? Did you enter anything in contests?
0: I went to UCLA in creative writing, and it was a short story program, and I wrote their short stories dutifully and then realized I couldn't get paid for them very much. So I wrote a Teleplay. I got it to an agent. And it actually is very, like, an easy version of Hollywood, at least at the beginning, and uh, I got it to an agent who got it to uh, one of the producers at 90210, and that was my first job.
1: Wow. So that was right out of school?
0: Yeah, weird, bizarrely so, yeah.
1: So I guess that was your first produced credit, and you you got an agent from that? Yeah. And then were you able to follow up with any other work with 90210?
0: Yeah, I I was on 90210 for a while, and then I sort of, it's interesting with Chuck, i sort of a hybrid of comedy and drama, and and what I've found in my career is I've done a lot of half-hour situation comedy or animated family guy and things like that, but I really found the sweet spot with Chuck because it's so much of emotions and comedy, you know, uh, joined together, so it's... I did a lot of one-hour work and half-hour work, and I sort of found my way to this, which has been just a wonderful, perfect experience for me.
1: Mm-hmm. I, w- I was going to say, because you, you've got experience in a ton of different things. Uh, following 90210, you, you did a number of, was it one hours?
0: For a long time, I actually did a lot of situation comedy, um, just shoot me and still standing and, and stuff like that, and Family Guy, which is, a great experience. And I also did like, you know, very straight one hour dramas like Commander in Chief and Life as We Know It. And so Chuck is a nice hybrid, you know, letting me really exercise both comedy and drama.
1: Mm -hmm. And so you've got a pretty good resume now. What would you say were some of the biggest lessons that you learned along the way?
0: Probably the biggest, I don't know if it's a lesson, but it's just sort of like right messy, right where you live, right what your real experience, I know it's a terrible thing is right what you know, but it's really true. And not that I know how to be a spy, but, you know, you can certainly pretend to know and the natural emotions and situations that come off of that.
1: mm mm-hmm. I know definitely the things that keep us coming back to Chuck are the endearing moments and the real moments when somebody has mustard on their shirt or yeah the little interplay between Chuck and Morgan, the sister relationship with Ellie. Those are definitely the things that draw us in and, and keep us coming back.
0: Yeah, it's the things we, we all know. I mean, it, if the intersect landed in any one of our heads, I'm sure that we would find some of these situations for ourselves. So mm-hmm. that's sort of where we come from.
1: Yeah. So can you tell us a story about how you got involved with Chuck? Did you come in in the pilot, or was it later on?
0: Well, the pilot was Josh Schwartz and Chris Fedak, and and that was their baby. And then I was excited to come in uh, around the first episode, I guess it was after the pilot, uh, versus the helicopter. We were brought in, the staff was brought in, and I've been fortunate to be with the show since then. And it's been an incredible experience.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And so, what did you think about the pilot when you first saw it? You read the pilot.
0: Yeah, I read. I read the pilot, and I, I had had a meeting with Warner Brothers, and sort of snuck a, a viewing of it. I was very excited about it, and it was an amazing pilot. And so, I had met with uh, McGee's company and uh, Peter Johnson, and they wanted to work with me on something. And I was very excited about Chuck. And I, it, it was funny because I didn't even—I had been offered another job, and then I didn't even have a chance to meet with Josh Schwartz or Chris Fiedek, and sort of like, I guess. They ended up hearing that I was interested in the project, and I ended up getting a job offer from Chuck and came to work the first day, having not met Josh or Chris. So it was sort of interesting, but um, wow. very, very fortunate. Yeah, it was really it was a great. It ended up being a great match, and it was sort of like a blind date.
1: Mm-hmm. What was your first impression when you walked in the room?
0: Well, I mean, Josh is obviously he has his own legend, and he lived up to all of that, and it was it was very exciting. And Chris meeting him, and he's such a, a brilliant mind. And when we when we walk into our temporary office space, for the first day, there was this giant sketch on the uh, driver race board of the Intersect. I guess they had just finished the pilot and someone had come in to sort of pitch the idea of how the Intersect would look, the mm. original Bryce Larkin blown up Intersect, and it was like drawn in this dry erase. It was so like such an ephemeral drawing and it was wow. so incredible. And I thought, wow, this is, this is going to be quite a journey. It was very cool. Mm-hmm.
1: When I was talking with Phil, he said that between season one and season two that you guys had weeks to hash out and riff on ideas on where you wanted to take season two, but how much time did you guys have in the first season to do that kind of prep?
0: Well, I I guess not that much less, but we had a greater sense of what we wanted to achieve and what we did well the first season, I think it was easier to sort of like find our sweet spot for the second season, so it was a lot of sort of trial and error and finding out what worked for our characters and what worked for, you know, our actors. And I I think that season two maybe had the same kind of prep period, but we had a a better idea of what we wanted.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you watch the episodes when they air?
0: I love the show. I mean, I'm I'm blessed with being both a fan and, you know, part of the production. And I really like the show. I don't think there's anything uh, else like it on TV. And it's great to be able to take it as far as we want comedy wise and also have that uh, drama and action and love it's just again there's just nothing like it uh, that kind of hybrid to me so it's uh, I'm a big fan
1: I totally agree I wouldn't be running the podcast if (laughs) if that wasn't true (laughs) so how much does it inform your process when you actually see things on screen.
0: Well, again, you know, I think we, we know what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, as you mentioned, all those sort of slice of life things and then exacerbated by the spy world is really, you know, where we start from. And what would be weird if it happened to us falling into our heads and where we could go from there. And what's the funniest situation? What's the most dramatic? And what's the most tension filled? And so that helps us figure out the stories.
1: Mm hmm. And in terms of the staff, it seems like everybody comes at it with a little bit of a specialty, or at least the shows that they're coming off of. You've got Scott Rosenbaum coming from The Shield. You've got uh-huh. Phil coming from Veronica Mars. And it seems like, look, at least looking at resumes, that you've probably got a little more comedy experience would you say that comedy is one of the bigger things that you bring to the table?
0: That would be nice if someone said that about me. I hope so. But what I really like to do is put that emotional spin on things and getting to understand the rich relationships between Chuck and Sarah or you know Ellie and even John Casey starting to open up this year. I just really like to sort of unfold the next layer of uh, emotions. And, yeah, I love that the show is funny. And I think... I would like to think that, that I have more comedy experience, but I think everyone on staff is tremendously talented in comedy. It's like a, a basketball team where we we all do the same thing.
1: Yeah. And you've got a super talented cast as well.
0: Oh, yeah. We're tremendously lucky. And the crew is amazing, and the camera people, and the way it looks. I mean, the music, all of it just sort of comes together really nicely. We're
1: very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Now one huge part of Chuck is the tone. Mm-hmm. I would say even more so than many many other shows and, it, and it's a very different show than pretty much anything else that's on the air right now and yet it, it really seems like episode to episode even though they're written by different writers the tone is just rock solid. How do you ensure that? What can you comment about that?
0: Well I mean I, I, we do a lot of discussions in the room like talking about the story and sort of you know, we break all the stories out as a group of writers and we get sort of you know, where we're starting, where we're headed as a group. So I think when we go off to write them individually, it really is very clear to us
1: where we're going. Mm -hmm. And you've personally written three episodes, Chuck versus the Wookiee chuck versus the truth and chuck versus the cougars in addition obviously to ones that are probably upcoming this season
0: exactly there's a there's one coming up or it might have aired already uh chuck in 3d Mm -hmm. versus the third dimension and then the one immediately following that is chuck versus the best friend which i wrote and then there's uh another one called chuck versus the broken heart and then i i'm very uh, honored to have been asked by Chris Fedak and Josh Hortz to co-write the finale with Chris Fiedek, uh, which I think is as yet untitled, but wouldn't want to give anything away, so yeah. Chuck versus the last episode of season two, hopefully.
1: Yeah, cool. So, out of all of those, what was your favorite to write, or do you have any favorite scenes in those episodes?
0: Well, as I said, I'm a sucker for romance. I really like Chuck versus the truth, and that whole um, the poison that created Chuck and Sarah to speak the truth. I had a, a lot of fun with that. And the end scene where Chuck stops Sarah from drinking the antidote and asks her the truth. And mm-hmm. she looks at him, you know, dead in the eye and says, you know, she doesn't care about him. But, of course, she's taken anti truth serum uh, yeah. at the Academy so yeah I mean that that was a really good time but I, I love all of them for different reasons there's a lot of fun coming up with best friend and broken heart just in general the season this year I think is really really strong there's a lot of incredible episodes coming up in the dynamic with Sarah and Chuck is explored to whatever satisfying level there's something for everyone and action and romance and certainly comedy and it's just going to be a really cool season
1: yeah it seems like it's following a trend going higher and higher and higher and hopefully we get a lot new viewers with this 3D episode.
0: That'd be great.
1: Yeah. Was there anything that you loved that ended up being cut?
0: I don't know how much I loved it. I mean, I was kind of, um, I think ultimately it was it was better for it, but in, in Versus the Truth, there was Harry Kang and his demise. was. So we found out the actor was going to be on Dexter for the season, so we had to sort of quickly come up with a reason for him to depart Mm -hmm. and there was a a much longer uh, backstory of how that whole discovery happened that ended up on the cutting room floor but I think the episode ended up being uh, solid anyway
1: oh yeah I do need to go into some fan questions Oh, great. These are ones that have actually been submitted by fans either on chucktv.net or else right to the podcast. So one fan asks, how long does it take to write one episode from idea to final script? Well, that
0: depends largely on how much fooling around we do in the writer's room because Mm -hmm. we can go off on long tangents for a very, very long time. But if we lined up the hours of work in a row, I bet it wouldn't be that long. We, We generally take a couple weeks to sort of break a story, which means to figure out what the story is from beginning to end, act-to-act and scene-to-scene with both the funny story at the Buy More and the more action-oriented emotional story. And then an individual writer will go off and write an outline that takes a few days. And then um, once, you know, it's been approved and people commented on it, and, and Josh and Chris and the other executive producers, then You'll generally have about seven days, eight days to go write a script, and, you know, it'll, it'll come back in and go through various notes and, and different forms. So all in all, I, I, I couldn't even tell you, you know, a mm-hmm. month-long process, but if you just, you know, in terms of actually writing a draft, not that long. hmm
1: And who comes up with the raw ideas
0: well, we as a as a writing staff sort of generate the ideas, and we all talk about the general shape of the season, either in pre production or sort of when we come up with different arcs. For you know, if there's a, a romantic interest for Chuck or for Sarah, or if it's them or whatever the arc is, and we'll sort of plan it out in general. And then when we get into the more individual episodes, we'll just sit down and figure it out as a, a writing staff.
1: Mm-hmm. I know you can't give us specific spoilers. But uh, one fan asks, what can we expect in the second half of season two?
0: Well, I mean, I, I think there's some surprises. I wish I I wish I could say what they are, but, you know, just when you think everything's status quo with Chuck, it's not. And it's very exciting. I really I wish I could tell you. That seems like the most <laughs> fun.
1: Yeah.
0: But, you know, there's all those big questions. Does Chuck want to be doing this life? Will Ellie and Austin get married? What will happen with Chuck and Sarah? And hopefully we provide answers for all those things.
1: Mm-hmm. You answered this one already, but one fan uh wanted to know about any particular episodes that you've written if if you can talk about them at all. And you could even talk about the process maybe so you're not speaking about specific details
0: well I mean I, I think we already this leaked out from casting but in uh, Chuck versus the Broken Heart Trisha Helfer who's on Battlestar mm-hmm. is gonna come in and sort of watch over Sarah and Chuck and sort of uh, she's gonna evaluate their dynamic and see if maybe that's appropriate or inappropriate and uh, there's some exciting stuff that happens as a result of that and potentially uh, some sort of titillation between her and uh, Casey mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that I can tell more than that, but um, it's. The, uh, I really enjoyed that episode because it runs through Awesome's bachelor party, which is um, a lot of fun.
1: Oh, cool. I can imagine. <laughs> One fan writes, you are listed as a co-executive producer on the show. What does this title mean, and do you have extra responsibilities because of that title? Well,
0: the answer is it's a fancy fancy way of saying writer but the producer part is chris and josh are very nice in that and it's not been my experience in all the shows i've worked on but in this show in particular they're very nice about sort of letting the writer in on the producer process which is you know casting and editing and being on the set and working with the actors and the directors and sort of sharing what our vision of the show is and it's I, i think when you asked earlier about tone i think that's a really helpful part of it so being a co-executive producer is getting your hands dirty in all areas and I think that's why the shows end up as rich as they do and as and that each one of our writers gets to sort of birth their babies to fruition
1: mm-hmm well, that actually leads into this fan's next question. They want to know how, once you've broken the episodes, how you assign the episodes to different writers.
0: Well, you, you mentioned you know how each person has different strengths, it seems, just based on past credits. And I think everyone is very well-rounded on this stuff. But I, mean, I think sometimes there's you know if there's a more action-oriented episode, it will go to one writer or another. Mm-hmm. And a more romantic one would go to one writer or another, or a more humorous one. I, I mean, I do think there's, in general... Maybe they're a sign like that. But by and large, I think any one of our writers could write any one of these episodes. They're a very well-rounded bunch.
1: Mm-hmm. Each episode really tends to have a little bit of everything, too.
0: That,
1: yeah. Each episode has a bit of the romance, a bit of the comedy, a bit of the action. You don't really have one check episode that's all romance and another check <laughs> yeah. episode that's all if action. If we are not
0: laughing and crying and scared, then we haven't properly done our jobs.
1: Yeah, that's true. Speaking about fan reactions, did you expect how popular the show was going to be?
0: I think that, well, I hope that people like the show and I hope that they all tell two friends and they tell ten friends because it's just been such a great experience to, you know, work on something that I'm genuinely proud of and just think is quite original and exceptional.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. In terms of this season, especially with the Jill arc, has the fan reaction surprised you at all? We've seen a lot of heat on the forums. There are a lot of people who didn't like what was happening when when Jill came into the picture.
0: In terms of what? In terms of her as a romantic interest for Chuck? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, this intersect has been thrust in his head, and, you know, we all have histories. Sarah has a history, too, and so whatever feelings they may have or may not have together, they all have a past. Mm -hmm. So you can't just sort of erase your history, and I think that more will be revealed about Jill and Sarah. That's the cool thing about this premise is that everyone has this rich history. You don't really know where anyone's been or where they're
1: going. Mm I know that there are some show creators that develop long, long arcs and histories for the characters that they sort of put into a Bible and they introduce the writers and that's that. Uh In Chuck, how much of the backstories are you able to sort of, retroactively create?
0: I mean, I think Chris and Josh had a good idea of what the mythology of the characters were, but we're able to expound on that with, like, uh, last year's 106, stamp, the versus Alma Mater. Mm-hmm. And, like, at, every time we were, we're able to go backwards, like in versus the Cougars, mm-hmm. that was a lot of fun to sort of create that past for Sarah. And I think, you know, I hope that in season three we'll be able to explore even more. You know, we got in 210 when her dad came back. Mm-hmm. You know, we get to know a little bit more about each character, and we definitely have our input into where they've been and how that affects them now.
1: Mm -hmm. Is there a lot that's already been mapped out that we won't necessarily see, or do you kind of create it as you need it?
0: Again, Chris and Josh had sort of a knowledge of where they'd been, but we are, you know, we, the writing staff, are helping to fill in the other parts about the specifics, and in this season, going up to uh, the last episode this year, there's questions, hopefully we'll get answers.
1: Mm -hmm. In particular, you wrote some important Chuck and Sarah episodes and in two of them we learned something new about Sarah. In those cases, uh, if you can remember, I'm speaking about the ones that have aired already, obviously. Uh-huh. Were those things that came up out of the original mythology or w- or were those new things that, that came up?
0: Well, I think the the writing staff, and, and I was certainly excited to tell a story about what happens to, like in Versus the Cougars, when she goes back to high school. I think it was interesting to see what happens to what we perceive Sarah might be from back then versus who she was and what motivates her and whether she fall. I think Casey certainly followed a more traditional path to get to where he is and I think Sarah's journey there was much more unique with her sort of paper moon Nikita Mm -hmm. grifter past and it's been really interesting to see the reaction about that and uh, it's been cool for us to figure that out.
1: Yeah, that was a very very strong episode and we always love seeing Agent Carmichael
0: (laughs) Well, he's our favorite
1: Yeah, we can't wait for the rest of the season it's just great to watch Chuck every Monday night
0: well, we're really excited that you guys are all watching and we're having an amazing time helping to uh, make these shows.
1: Yeah. And the fans are obviously liking it. I mentioned in an email to you, but we're actually the the number one TV show podcast in the world right now.
0: I got myself a subscription on uh, iTunes, so I'm very excited about uh, being a member.
1: <laughs> yeah. So if that's any indication, there's there's a lot of people out there who who not only love Chuck but also are uh, are loving to spread the word.
0: Well, cool. Thank you so much for being interested and being a fan.
1: You're very welcome. Do you have any projects or charities that we could promote for you?
0: We do work with an organization called the Young Storytellers Foundation, Mm -hmm. and that's just providing writing to public schools here in Los Angeles County, and we work with young kids and help them create narratives. if If you want to talk about that, it's very cool, the Young Storytellers Foundation. But, you know, we're just all trying to make creative things in kids.
1: Mm -hmm. Where would our listeners find out about that?
0: Well, uh, they could go to Mm youngstorytellers.com and get involved in whatever way they want.
1: That sounds very exciting.
0: All right. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Gray.
1: Thank you for taking the time and enjoy the rest of your day, and also enjoy the rest of the season. And and now, obviously, we don't know about a season three renewal, but when would you guys be back?
0: Hopefully in September, but so we we won't hear about that till probably about March or uh, April.
1: Great. Well, we all have our fingers crossed.
0: Well, us too. Thank you, and yeah. uh, thank you for watching.
1: Great. Thanks a lot. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs> And we're back. Now we get to talk to Allie in the present, January 2011, about her experience as a female writer and also on No Ordinary Family. Enjoy. This is Gray, and I'm with co-executive producer and writer of No Ordinary Family, Allie Adler, who actually I know from the Chuck days. How are you doing, Allie?
0: I'm doing great. It's really nice to speak with you, Gray.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's always a pleasure. And, uh, you know, I'd, when I was in L.A. last year, one of my fondest memories is when I walked into the Chuck office and you just stopped what you're doing, grabbed my hand, and whisked me around the building and introduced me to everybody. And uh, I, I really appreciate the warm welcome you, you gave me when I was new in town.
0: Well, you're a super fan, and, and there's nothing I like better than being liked. So, <laughs> it's great. For yeah. me. Uh, thank you for all your continued support.
1: Yeah. And, uh and you know a, a funny thing happened um mm-hmm. and of course obviously we talked and and when we when we had our first interview I don't know how it didn't come up that you're a Canadian and
0: uh yep. my one of my early credits is Canadian <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah and and so um I had actually tweeted to s- that you were were a Canadian and then somebody got back to me and said no she's not IMDB says she's not
0: <laughs> well, you know, the 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 truth is, uh IMDB is wrong, but you're you're both right. I am a Canadian citizen, I'm also an American citizen. and I'm proud to be both. I was mm-hmm. born in Montreal and uh spent some time in Vancouver as well, um but grew up in San Diego and became a citizen um in the mid-80s. So, yep, everybody's right except IMDB. <laughs> okay.
1: So you actually grew up in San Diego? Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. And uh and so um Maybe you can, as,
0: as did Sarah Walker. That's part of the reason.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so maybe you can just frame as um, you were talking in your last interview about how you were growing up and when you initially got the writing bug. Um, where exactly was that logistically?
0: I was uh, I was in high school in San Diego and. Um... I was in a drama class, and I was very enthusiastic about it, and it felt completely satisfying. And my then drama teacher said, you know, I asked how he felt about my performance, and he said, it was like I was doing an impression of an actor, and I should be a writer. <laughs> and it actually was kind of cruel uh, criticism, but but true. And I think um, the way actors sink into characters, I always sort of stand outside and observe more. And it's been, uh, you know, it's been beneficial. So I really appreciate um, that man, Michael Auer's advice.
1: hmm you know, it is funny how um, we have so many teachers, and yet there's just one or two that, that have that kind of mark on, on our lives. Uh, I remember I had one in, in the eighth grade, Richard Pentlebury. And <laughs> if you imagine uh, the movie Dead Poet Society, how Robin Williams was. Sure. That's exactly how he was. He was just...
0: Oh, inspirational.
1: Totally inspirational. And that, that gave me the love of writing of books, of... All that sort of thing, so
0: there's there's actually an, another guy in high school this guy, um Bob Litchfield, who who I felt very inspired by it, like that, and he's um, he's actually been named in an ordinary family as uh, Mr. Litchfield, JJ's teacher that annoys him all the time. Oh no. So everyone gets a little love in some way or another.
1: Yeah, well, I know uh, Phil Klemmer said that when he was writing Veronica Mars there's this one graduation scene and almost every name that was called was one of the writers or somebody that worked on the show. <laughs> <laughs> there's,
0: there's generally a lot of inside jokes like that, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, very cool. Well, um, so this this is part of a women TV writer series, and uh, there's some—actually, I, I found quite surprising statistics as I was looking into women TV writers, uh, and— I don't know. I guess we just have this impression in our in our heads that it's 2011, and sure. that we've come so far, um, and yet, in the last ten years, the percentage of women TV writers hasn't grown. It's it's maybe gone from 27 to 28 percent uh, of the of the writers, and and even more so uh, minorities, even though. Women represent over fifty percent of the population, and only twenty percent of TV writers. And minorities represent at least a third of the of the population. And there's only nine mm-hmm. percent who who are writing. And so I I really wanted to address this a little bit not not in a political way, but more I wanted to inspire young women who are thinking about writing. And uh, well,
0: I mean, I I think it's funny because whatever you type on a piece of paper is you know. Fairly genderless. It's just a piece of paper you could type, written by you know a Adler, or and it could be for, you know, a girl or a boy. It's mm-hmm. whatever is written doesn't have anything to do with uh, your gender. So, it's weird, I guess, that it it seems like uh, in many jobs, you know, there there are sort of differences in in the sexes, but I think in this one, it's pretty it's pretty fair. So it's a shame that there aren't more women. Um, and I right now on northern Family, there's a, a female team. And then just recently we've hired another, uh, uh, female and it's totally lovely to work with, uh, women and, and tremendous amount of guys that I work with. But it's true that over the course of my career, um, I've been the only woman in a room many times and, you know, or maybe one other in a room of 10 guys. Mm -hmm. So even if it's just a, a small percentage of females, um, it's never been, I don't think, an equal sort of the, the statistics you're talking about, fifty percent. So I don't think I've ever worked in that kind of room.
1: Mm-hmm. And and it seems really really interesting to me that there's so many female characters in TV, like e- even more so than than features. Features seem to be geared more mm. towards males. And and with TV, I mean, you've you've got many shows. I mean, a big case of point is Golden Girls was written mm-hmm. by. Almost all men. There was one woman in the room, uh, in the room, and you'd think like this is a show about three women. Right, (laughs) that is crazy. Well, Um, I mean, by the
0: by the same token, to be fair, a man should be able to write a female voice as well as a woman can write a male voice. I mean, that's what I mean. It's genderless. Um, But it is a shame that more women don't, you know, throw themselves out there and and get into it because I do think, in ways, um, people want to hire. You know, minorities and women, and so there is kind of a secret advantage to that.
1: Yeah, I I know. um, One of the things that the the Writers Guild said is that it has to do a lot with networking, um, and uh, I mean networking, and also just uh, positioning in the industry. Like, like Mm -hmm. you'll see a lot of female assistants, but for some reason they they have a harder time making the jump to to into the writer's room. Why why do you think that is, and what what do you think can be done about this?
0: I don't know. I mean, I think maybe it's just a question of people um, trying for the jobs. Maybe it isn't a question of networking, but of percentages trying to get in. Uh So maybe the, the same percentages get in. I don't, I don't know. I couldn't say. Um, mm-hmm. When I broke in, I, I wasn't an assistant. I uh w- was in college and wrote a spec and uh, very lovely for me. Uh, someone read it at nine two one zero, and it happened very quickly, and that was very exciting. But I, but I think very unusual. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah. Um, and so, uh, as somebody who is now uh, a successful TV writer, and and um, and I love the fact that that you've got a staff that's that's got that's very well represented, I guess you would say. Um, what would you tell a young woman who is considering a career in TV writing?
0: I I would say to to a woman or to a man alike, just write and write what you know and uh, bend it a little bit and read a lot. And I don't even mean like you know, uh, story books or structure books or although that's always helpful. But I think it's just reading. And watching things that you love and bending it in a certain way or getting passionate about. I mean, the greatest thing about my job uh, is that I get to do it. You know, I, I get paid to play and it's really exciting. So whatever you're passionate about, channel it into your words and your work. And, and I think that excitement comes on, off on the page.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what about somebody who maybe is in the industry already and is hitting roadblocks? Um, are there any resources in particular that you know of or or things that they could do that uh, that would help them?
0: Well, I mean, we have a bunch of talented uh, young people at learning family that got in and are assisting us or script coordinating for us or um, writers' assistance for us, interns, and tr- truly talented people that that are just sort of waiting their turn to you know they have their pilots that they've written and they have their specs but they really are not, uh the the hardest the, the hardest thing to do is to you know find out what a room looks like and and what the cadence of uh you know breaking story is and the the most exciting thing for these people is that they get to sit in the room and and be a part of it and contribute in ways and so it's the greatest it's it's truly an apprenticeship
1: mhm well and, and certainly um there are great resources available in terms of like interviews with writers uh, I know there's some great podcasts. Um.
0: I'm familiar with. Them. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, uh, you ever heard of Jen Grisanti? I haven't. Oh, she did excellent, excellent uh, writing podcast. She uh, she used to work actually for Aaron Spelling, and oh. um, and now has a consultancy and uh, really really great interviews with writers. Um, so, any other say for instance uh, books that you might have read that were particularly influential.
0: Well, I think, you know, most writers at some point, like, go to Barnes and Noble and look at Robert McGee's, you know, story structure, all that stuff. And I think it's really important to know those. I mean, consider that the ABC of, uh, of writing and, you know, building tension and momentum and twists and turns and all that stuff that you really need to know. But some of it is just, you know, how you hear people in your head and what your experiences are and how you can put that together on the page and taking an idea and bending it, um, in a way that feels fresh and, and unfamiliar, and I, I mean, I, I think that's less about what you learn than who you are.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a writer is a writer is a writer, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, on on to uh, Chuck and the Ordinary Family. Um, so you were a fan favorite writer on Chuck. I don't think that would surprise you.
0: I'm very honored, and I am I'm a huge uh, fan of the fans. So <laughs> yeah. that, Thank you.
1: Yeah, and and I know when Chuck fans heard that you had left. For no ordinary family, there was a bit of a panic. Um, what, what can you tell me about how that happened?
0: Well, I mean, that was a personal panic, too. I really, I love my experience at Chuck. I love the people that I work with, and the crew, and the cast. And it, it was truly, I mean, to sound trite, it was truly a family. And I talked to those people a lot still. Um, what happened was, is sort of the, the curse of the bubble show, which is uh, Chuck. You know, there's a there's a window of work that we have as writers and then there's a hiatus. And generally you would know like if your show is coming back, um you know, at the, at that time in March and we didn't hear, you know, we were still waiting for the upfronts to hear about the fate of Chuck and Mm -hmm. we really didn't know. I think it was 50, 50, who who knew? And it it had always been 50, 50 with Chuck and thank God it bent towards positive and, and has been and continues to. And I'm really excited about my, uh, for my friends over there. Mm -hmm. Um, but we just didn't know, uh, what was going to happen with Chuck and this offer came, Um, from no ordinary family and it was a Greg Berlanti and John Feldman and it's I I saw the pilot it was really exciting and you know the question just became like you know it's the uh thing that you know versus the thing that you don't know and uh I, I I had really you know a tough decision to make um all the people I worked with and and love so much but it's you know it's been uh it's been an exciting ride here too Mm -hmm. and so you know it was it was truly a difficult decision and and also one that that has been okay for me as well
1: yeah well and I think ultimately we we do end up benefiting because I know there are a lot of Chuck fans who have gone on to an ordinary family and are loving the show simply because they knew that you were going to be on it and they knew they liked your writing so um well,
0: that's very nice. Yeah, Thanks.
1: I I I love following writers. I I never would have um checked out Veronica Mars if it hadn't been for Phil. Um and uh and I had never would have checked out The OC if it hadn't been for Josh Schwartz. I <laughs> I went on to check out those shows on DVD and just loved them and it just makes sense because writers are are the people who are coming up with the stories and the characters and so if you like the the stories and characters on one show, you're going to like what they've done on on other shows too.
0: Well, I mean, I think that's what's sort of exciting about uh, No Family is that right now we're, you know, I think that the it was very exciting to me that it seemed like a family of superheroes much in the same way that Chuck seems like a superhero and is mm-hmm. an extraordinary person in unusual unusual uh, situation and that, uh, you know, going into this, that's what I felt like we were going to accomplish and I think we were, you know, to be fair, off to a slow start in some ways and just the episodes that we're producing right now and um, I'm, I appreciate people like last week's episode but just the things that are coming up are so exciting and full of mythology and full of supervillains and, and it's really taking on an exciting, momentous uh, push into um, the back, you know, uh, the back of the season. And, and I'm particularly proud of a lot of these episodes coming up. So I, I hope people, if they haven't checked it out, do. And if they have, that they, they continue to.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what can you tell me about the rest of the staff and, and how the room works? Say, for instance, compared to Chuck, but also compared to the other shows that you've worked on
0: well the sh- the staff here is great and you know it's funny to compare to chuck because chuck was the greatest collection of silly people i've ever <laughs> you know known and and hope to know and the you know a lot of really special um immature imbeciles collectively you know eating very good lunches uh-huh. that was chuck and uh you know th- that's not the case here there's a few more grown ups per capita and uh by i'm not talking about chronology i'm just talking about that uh, personality and, it, and it's and it's fun sort of being the silly person coming into the room of grown ups and I think this staff has benefited from you know my silliness um as I'm sure you know. Clemmer when he, you know, went somewhere else or when now went somewhere else or um, Skeeter went somewhere else. I'm sure that they brought their personalities to all those rooms, too. But Chuck was such an, an array of fools together at once mm-hmm. that we couldn't help but be foolish together. And that was a, a lot of fun. And and this this is a lot of fun, too. It's just a it's a little bit more grown up per capita, which, you know, maybe we could all use a blast of. Now and then.
1: <laughs> well, and it, and it is I, one of the things I love about an ordinary family is that it really, really does cover a lot of bases in terms of you have the grown-up issues, you have you know is, issues that married people would relate to, but then mm. you also have issues that kids would relate to in high school, and I think in some ways even more than Chuck, you you um, address bigger. Parts of the dem of the gen gender and age demographic, can I say yeah, that? I think we,
0: we hit most uh, most points, and I think that 's been the sort of challenge is to find the tone of the show it 's like we want to keep the adults very you know interested, and I think that uh, the kids we don't want to go too far in either violence or content. And I think we had that challenge on Chuck as well mm-hmm. but um, it's it's proved I think exciting because we're finding we 're really finding that balance uh, at least in the, the back the back side of the season mm
1: mm-hmm. And you—you you told me in your last interview that it was best to write messy, write from your life. And I know John Feldman actually said in an interview that he really wanted this show to be about a real family that could be on your block. And so, how—how how does this attitude play into *Nordney Family*?
0: Well, I mean, I—I I, I do think that life doesn't look as neat as most forty-two-minute, uh, you know, television shows. And so, if you have the opportunity in writing, um, to kind of take unusual turns and twists, and not just in terms of story, but in the lines that you don't, that if I'm sitting at home sometimes and I'm watching a show, I can guess lines that are coming up based on like what you shouldn't write. And I'm sort of, um, I, I like to, to bend things slightly and, and, as I said, make it messy and l- let things look a little bit more like real life, even though we're, you know, in, in a fictionalized world.
1: Mm hmm. And now you have uh, two kids, and but your oldest is six, so they're kind of a little younger than—
0: Yeah, they're a little younger. I let—leave uh, uh, on my eldest is, you know, we're, we're not a big gun household, so mm-hmm. watching Chuck proved challenging. Um, yeah. There's some moments in our family, I'll fast forward, when there's just like, you know— uh, Stephanie is running fast, or, or Jim is leaping, but in general, it's still sort of out of their world.
1: Yeah, but but still, how how does your own family inform your writing?
0: I think you know, a, you know, a family is just you know what a couple looks like, and you know what your kids look like, and you know what they're feeling, and you know, I think obviously the kids on our family are, are older. Um, but, you know, when I started my career in writing 90210, it, I was, you know, barely, uh, out of high school myself. And uh-huh. so the memory, the memory I was in the youth slot. And now that I'm not, I mean, I still can project uh, what my kids will, will be like, though I'm sure it won't be anything like, uh, <laughs> be much worse. But, yeah. um, you know, the teen years of my children, I, I, I certainly think you come to know your kids so individually and perhaps those characteristics translate to, uh, to like JJ and Daphne.
1: Mm-hmm. And moving back towards the uh the writers' room, um can you tell me a bit about the the process of of the show? Um not necessarily compared to Chuck, but uh like how long do you spend breaking the story? A, uh, what kind of outline is it, um, from a writing perspective?
0: It, it really depends. I mean, Chuck was its own beast. And, and I think, you know, they're similar in ways that most television shows is like, we collectively come up with an idea for the story. And then, you know, like, uh, what, whatever the, this one is about, a supervillain who can turn himself into fire, let's say. So then we go through all the beats of, you know there's there's six acts in the structure and so we go through each act and kind of see what the beginning middle and end is of the general a story uh which would be like let's say the fire guy and then we would talk about what the kids are doing what the parents are doing how those stories all dovetail and intertwine with one another how they can touch each other um that's generally the best kind um and uh and you know uh how to make these characters grow a little bit emotionally amidst all the pyrotechnics would be that's something I'm especially interested in.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, um, what would you say some of the um, challenges are? I know with, with Chuck, one of the bigger challenges was, was maintaining the tone and balancing all those elements. Would you say that that's part of the challenge for this one, too?
0: I think it's hard because um in this show you know it's it's a big spectacle with a lot of special effects and as always we're always constrained by time and money and budget and we have big ideas and you know we don't always get to shoot all those big ideas but um I I think it's just yeah fine in in any first year show it's finding the tone of what you want to accomplish you know what the level of of humor or um self evaluation or growth or Um, you know, do we dwell mostly on, um, the super villains or the superpowers or the family dynamics as it affects uh, them when they use their superpowers or so it's, it's finding a balance. And I think, you know, and especially into this last, I keep talking about this last half of the season, but I think we're really finding an exciting way of telling these stories that feels fast and fun and still getting out that motion. So, um, anyway i hope people watch
1: <laughs> well this this week i thought was excellent um you've, your episode uh co-written with mark guggenheim
0: yeah he's a, a big comic book guy he writes a comic book and he's co-author of uh the flash the feature that's coming out soon and wow yeah he's he's a great guy
1: very very cool
0: there's a very talented uh staff of uh, all different types and and really like uh the comic book world is very represented in our writing room.
1: <laughs> very cool. Well, and I'm sure that's a lot of where your audience is at. Um, yeah. But uh, may, many people are saying that this was the the best of the season so far. Um, what can you tell me about writing and shooting this particular episode?
0: I, I I like this episode a lot. I think that the best, I keep saying this, that the best is yet to come. We're uh, one episode, I think, away from... Um, Jim Powell's brothers coming to town, and mm. he's got a secret of his own. And then we're getting into, I think, more the world of supervillains, where um, they're going to have to take down people with powers similar to their own. And I think we we're going to do that uh, much more in the back half of the season than than we are. Mm. We're going to explain why and how and what, where they got their powers, and who's behind it. And I just think all the mythology sort of coming to a head, and it's getting very exciting. It's like, wait, do we have room to tell that part of the story? Come on, let's just try to stick it in. And then we end up you know, maybe shifting it around a little bit. But it it's great. And and what I really liked about this last episode with um like the Katie story was to me, you know, I love, love and I'll I'll say it again, but uh, you know, the the watcher, um he he chose love over his, you know, past and over and and that past goes a long way. So oh, yeah. when you know when he learned this fact about Katie and her virginity, he wasn't willing to be that evil. So he went and, and quit. And uh, you know we'll see what happens. But um, it, I mean I think that was it. Just was so character revealing for the audience anyway about mm-hmm. who this man is.
1: Oh yeah, it goes back to Robert McKee when he when he talks about villains and how the, a true villain is actually not. Only doing bad, a true villain has is, is doing in his mind the right thing. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And uh, and I th- I thought that was incredibly interesting for the watcher to uh, like all, all of a sudden it makes you so much more interested about that character when you when you see that he he's not just maybe uh, if you ever watched the show um, Heroes the original Siler was really scary, but um, he got a lot more interesting when he showed that he had a good side.
0: Right. Um, I have to admit I've never seen an episode of Heroes, but I'd love to qualify. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. So um, now one one comment that a fan made was that um, Daphne's memory loss seemed to be resolved too quickly. Um, It seemed to be built up to be this this significant thing, and then just right at the beginning of the episode it was resolved. Can you explain what happened there?
0: The thinking uh, in that is we wanted to use her powers to get back to... Uh, sort of the fun of having powers because the the episode itself was, you know, Stephanie wanted to get involved to help her friend. Mm-hmm. And in her headspace was in her daughter who uh, had this, you know, um, true memory loss. Uh, inexplicably, mm-hmm. uh, then we felt like she couldn't be in the process of helping uh, Jim solve this crime. However, this is not the last we've heard of this. So, uh-huh. um, your your watchers, uh, your literal viewers, are um, are smart to pick up on that. So, we will certainly re- readdress that.
1: Cool. Well, I know you have. Uh, uh uh, meeting to go to pretty soon, and we definitely have to get to fan questions. And when you think about fans, of course, we think about Bailey Browning. Uh, she's piped in. <laughs>
0: who, who now has a recurring uh, fictionalized role on No ordinary Family. We have a character named Dr. Bailey who's the yeah. opposite our actual sweet Bailey Browning, but uh, we have sort of the mean girl Bailey Browning who actually uh, has a couple episodes coming up still and may not only be evil.
1: Hmm. Interesting. Another
0: tease. yes, yeah. But uh, she's great.
1: Yeah. So Bailey says, I'm a ginormous Ali Adler fan, which we all know, uh, both <laughs> from Chuck and now in the Ordinary Family. And she has three questions. Number one is, what do you love most about being a writer-producer?
0: I think I said this earlier today, but it's just I, I feel so grateful to have the best job in the world where I'm paid to do what I love best. And I think in any job, whether you're writing or whatever you are doing out there, whatever you're doing, just be passionate about it, because then you'll be good at it. I get excited every single time they open the gate for me. Mm. Every day I come onto the lot, I feel like, you know, a kid going on a tour. Like, I I never lose that excitement and gratitude, and I feel totally privileged that I get to do what I get to do.
1: Mm-hmm. And which one of the Powell's superpowers do you wish you had and why?
0: Well, you know, I like to go fast, so I'm a little bit of a Stephanie. I I, I would like to have a giant brain. And, and I mean, I guess Daphne is just pretty cool. It seems like the most passive power, but... Uh, you know things are going to heat up a little bit. It won't only be a passive power for for very much longer. I don't want to tease too much, but um, hers is very cool. I don't know. There's something about walking through the world invincible or practically invincible that is very appealing. So I guess I'd have to go with Jim, but um, uh, a little bit of everybody would be great.
1: Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm going to skip her third question because uh, I think we covered it already about the second okay. half of the season. Uh, next is from Sean, also known as Awesome Annie, uh, trying to reconcile that one. Um, uh sean asks are you a fan of the series 24 because there seem to be some 24 elements in the shows
0: uh you know i i do love 24 and i watched it pretty diligently the first two seasons (laughs) Is, is that too small um but but it is a uh funny coincidence uh any similarity to uh Uh, having Rick Schroeder and Annie uh, involved with uh, No Ordinary Friends, all that is a coincidence. I haven't seen it for years.
1: Hmm, okay. Well, that's that's very interesting. And then uh, Priscilla, also known as as Sake Bomb Nation, um, Mm. asks, uh, out of all the characters you've helped create and written for in your career, which one is your favorite and why?
0: Hmm. Um, Hmm. Well... I'll, I'll go with Sarah Walker just because I think she's so much a part of me that, uh, you know, she, she is, is all the softness and all the determination that I, I wish I am and I wish that uh, we all can be. She's, she, you know, hides her loving interior with sort of a cold exterior and sometimes I'm guilty of that too. So, I mean, I, I love Sarah Walker. I love Karina. I, um, I really enjoy, um, some of the, some of the characters, uh, that I've worked and helped to create here on Norton Family on, um, my first character I created was, uh, the grandmother of Andrea Zuckerman on 90210, whose name was Rose Zuckerman. So I still get character payments for her. And, um, (laughs) and, um, oh, on, on, I did, I did an episode of Family Guy that I really enjoyed where, um, I created this, this uh, older woman that the Brian the dog starts to date and falls in love with, and mm. she's agoraphobic, and she won't leave her house, and then she leaves her house and gets hit by a bus. So I really enjoy her as well.
1: Okay, and Priscilla also asks, um, do you have any future projects already, or are you too busy with an ordinary family to focus on other work?
0: Well right now i'm uh you know it's it's very funny I'm sort of living the life of the mom on northern family. I'm juggling my own family and my own big job here on this family and don't really have a breath to think about what's next but uh would would love to start thinking about that soon
1: mm mm-hmm. so when when would you guys wrap uh
0: probably cast would wrap uh in uh in April the end of March around there, mm-hmm. and uh hopefully if we return it would be in uh the the writers would start in June.
1: Wow, so you won't get much of a break. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, at least, uh, at least, um, it's fun work, and uh, and you love what you do, and and that makes it all rewarding.
0: I do, and I'm uh, again grateful to be a part of you know as many amazing projects as I've been a part of.
1: Yeah, wonderful. Well, Allie, I can't wait till I get to see you again, and maybe we can well, get have meet coffee. Well, you, great,
0: and thank you so much, and thank you for all you do for for all of it.
1: Yeah. And so we definitely want to urge people to watch No Ordinary Family. If you haven't already, catch up and watch the rest <laughs> of the season because it's going to be great. And we, I, I just love every episode that, that comes where I see your name on it. Um, uh, somebody said on Twitter that uh, they don't actually need to see your name because we know when it's one of your episodes. Oh,
0: very generous. Thank you very
1: much. <laughs> so uh, best of luck to you and uh, can't wait to see the rest of what you do. Thanks, Greg. Okay. Take care. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. and we're back. It was such a treat to talk to Allie. Um I I truly do love her writing. I think that she has such an, a great talent for bringing characters to life and making you care about them. And I urge you to check out No Ordinary Family uh, to see more of her writing and this great show that that she's a part of of helping to produce. Um, I want to remind you that this Women TV Writers series is continuing. We're going to be interviewing Nell Scovell and also Elizabeth Finch and Kate Barno in the upcoming weeks. So please make sure to email mail at tvwriterpodcast.com for your questions. Follow me on Twitter at Gray Jones, and make sure that you also check out our back episodes at tvwriterpodcast.com. And I want to wish you a very happy writing week. Make sure that you do write in one of the greatest tips for doing that is set yourself a timer. One tip that I learned on the Jen Grisanti consultancy podcast is set yourself a little egg timer. You can actually get digital ones on your computer, but set yourself writing time every day and just time it. So for 30 minutes or 45 minutes or one hour, set your timer to say that you're not going to check your email or your messages or the internet or anything else, but get words on the page. Good luck with that. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and Scriptmag.com, the leading source for scriptwriting information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Scriptwriting Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide.